The Transport, Episode 24. Welcome to the Left Behind Club. The Transport by Alex Ames. You are listening to The Transport, a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Chapter 100 Sina Mac ran into Gorsuch like a linebacker into a quarterback during Super Bowl, screaming, all his rage escaping in one violent attack. Gorsuch's body jerked away from Sina like a thrown puppet. His gun went off, no longer aimed at Sina's face, firing an inch away from her ear, bursting her eardrum, a hot flash on her cheek and neck. It was as if someone had pressed the mute button on a remote control. She could feel the bang in her teeth, but could no longer hear anything. Both men rolled on the ground, interlocked, reaching the end of the MMTU platform, and fell out of sight. Sina had to blink and shake her head, but sound wouldn't return. All the action around her continued in full speed and color, but it was a silent ballet playing out before her. Mac. She scrambled for her own gun, then remembered that she had just stared down its barrel and lived to tell the tale. She patted herself down, looked around, no weapon, and found out painfully that her right index finger was totally useless, hanging at the joint at an impossible angle, bent backwards. Gritting her teeth, without thinking, she moved towards the same rim where Mac and Ivan had vanished. Both men stood eight feet below her, between the wheels, wrestling it out. Gorsuch still held on to the gun, but Mac had a lock on his arm, so it was useless. Mac had his left hand in his opponent's face, aiming for the eyes, while Gorsuch slammed his own left into Mac's bloody face repeatedly. Sina let herself drop down on top of Ivan, hitting him like a sack of cement in mid-fight. Her timing was slightly off. So instead of the head, she landed on his left shoulder, disrupting the rain of blows. Gorsuch's knees buckled under the weight, Mac got drawn down with them, still holding on to the gun arm. She banged her head on the hard parking lot tarmac and saw stars. Gorsuch rolled to his side, forcing Mac to let go of his hand. Sina grabbed Gorsuch's left hand with her own left and bit down hard, receiving a gun barrel hit on her shoulder bit down harder and wondered why Ivan did not scream from pain. The gun was right before her face, pointed to the side. It blew fire three times, like a flickering pistol-shaped cigarette lighter. And again, Sina did not understand why she heard nothing. The handle of the gun hit her face. She fended it off with her right arm, but had to let go of Ivan's hand. Her mouth filled with the taste of blood and something slimy. 
She received a kick in the stomach just in time to see Mac falling over backwards, a red gaping hole in his throat. Gorsuch scrambled away from Cena and pointed the pistol at her face. Another game over moment. Suddenly, Gorsuch's head disintegrated silently, like hot oil dripping on a wax figurine, destroying the side of the head, bursting skin, blood spraying, skin collapsing, pieces of bones flying through the air. Gorsuch's remains slumped sideways. Without thinking or planning, Sina wiggled away from her dead friend as quickly as she could, screaming from shock and the recurring, excruciating pain from her own broken finger, spitting out whatever was in her mouth. She turned towards Mac, who lay six feet away, not moving, his face a pool of blood. Behind him, Charles had his gun trained on Gorsuch, his face frozen in shock, having shot one of his own team. His jaw worked up and down, lips moving, no words coming out, but trying to bring some sort of message across. Death all around her, Sina said on the ground. Chapter 101 Leo What's our business on the fourth floor? Leo puffed as he tried to follow Eva through the central staircase. Both carried their weapons and enough ammunition for a possible endgame. I'd like to get an overview of the situation and maybe stop the ship from leaving in case our explosives fail, Eva said, striding upstairs. Hang on, fail? How could it fail? We tested it and... He shut up as he noticed the steady dribble of blood coming down from the stairs above and saw the pockmarked wall where shrapnel had cut through the plaster. Grass! That was the bang we've heard a minute ago. Linny got to play with a grenade after all. Leo's stomach churned as they passed slowly the two dead maimed soldiers, stepping through the blood and tissue. God, no one deserves such a death. You can close your eyes if you want, Eva suggested. I'll lead you through it. You can't make this smell go away, and I can't unsee it either. Leo gave back gasping quickly for air through his mouth to avoid breathing through his nose, holding his breath for the rest of the way. They reached the fourth floor and Eva walked up to one of the windows overlooking the front parking lot, Leo behind her. From the shelter of a concrete column, they saw the remains of the ramp scaffolding and the ongoing firefight. The ship's loading dock was still open, alert eyes looking around. Eva nodded. Look, there's Charles. They already hold most of the MMTU. Leo followed Eva's index finger. Too bad he can't give us a status update from here. Eva stepped away from the column and waved. Are you crazy? You are a sitting duck. Does not apply. I am standing. And I'm not a duck. I want to communicate with Charles. Leo peered around the column and prayed that no one from the transport or the ship targeted his girlfriend. He has seen you. Eva made a circling motion around her mouth. Charles in the distance shrugged and shook his head. He doesn't understand what you want. Hell, even I don't understand, commented Leo. Eva put her index finger over her mouth and then touched her ear, repeated the gesture. Then Charles suddenly nodded. He concentrated for a moment and then started talking. 
Leo's eyes darted between Charles and Eva. You're reading his lips. Mac is dead. Morales in the hospital, Eva translated. Whitaker and Garner have entered the building to clear the roof. Oh, the two dead soldiers we just saw, Leo said, unnecessarily. The roof is still shooting, makes it impossible to get to the loading hatch. Not sure when Whitaker and Garner will succeed, the message continued. Eva made a waving signal with her hands to interrupt Charles. She cut across her throat several times. Charles shrugged again, then his shoulders visibly slumped. Eva pointed at herself and then pointed up. She would finish whatever Whitaker and Garner were no longer able to do. Can you signal Charles that we have put... Eva flew his way and all hell broke loose around them as they took cover behind the concrete column on the floor. An endless stream of shots from several automatic guns hit the wall, window frame and the ceiling. It rained plaster and wooden splinters, parts of the ceiling coming down. The converts from the loading hatch had finally noticed them. The roof, that's where I'm going, Eva shouted into Leo's ear. They had crawled towards the fourth floor lobby while the shooting still shredded the room. There was so much debris in the air it felt like a snowstorm. Someone was not happy. Otherwise we can't capture the transport nor enter the ship anytime soon. What do I need to do? Leo shouted back. He was terrified an occasional ricochet buzzing into the lobby. You get away from here while I try the roof. The roof it is for both of us. Leo said and pulled her with him towards the staircase. Eva grabbed him by the shoulder. This is where you will go, and pointed downstairs. Run towards the back door and get away from the compound. When the Sclones get mad, really mad, Sclone mad, not human pissed off, this whole area will turn into a wasteland within a second. I won't leave you, Leo insisted. Eva sighed pushed Leo into the staircase, the fire door closing, leaving the inferno behind. She took one step up, now eye to eye with her human boyfriend. She wrapped her arms around Leo's neck and kissed him, this time more sensually, lingering in the moment. Leo's arms flailed, uncontrollable for a second, then held her too. She broke the embrace and stepped up another stair. Get your sexy ass downstairs. I'll take care of the ship. You did well. She stroked his hair and ran upstairs. Leo looked after her, still shell-shocked from the tongue in his mouth and the incredible hot body leaning in on him, the tips of her finger burning on his scalp. He finally heeded her advice, trotted down the stairs towards the ground floor. He crossed the results of Linny's grenade massacre once again and had to avert his eyes, bile collecting in his mouth. But there was no other way than to tiptoe around the human tissue and blood. He peered through the door crack into the ground floor lobby area, all clear. He was sure that his ruse had worked and that his batch of bombs had found their way into the ship. They should really explode any minute now. But can I be sure that they really detonate? If not, Eva will crucify me. Better do as she says and run. He hesitated once more. But Eva was in danger, various roof guards, all well versed with shooting now. Finally, Leo made up his mind, heeded Eva's advice. Once more, he checked the elevator lobby, all clear. He exited the staircase, 
turned right towards the offices that led towards the far end of the building, as far away from the action as possible. Break a leg, honey. Hi, Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption. This story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel, COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series, featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID Trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic. And France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly. There are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other retailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. That being said, buy the book. And now, let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 102 Eva. Armed with a Mac-10 machine pistol, an extra-large magazine, and a loaded rocket launcher slung over her back, Eva flew up the remaining stairs towards the roof, her eye sensors detecting no trip wires or light triggers on the way. She took the last turn effortlessly, leading towards the roof access door, a solid steel item, fireproofed. She stopped. Morales was right. After 60 years on this planet, the clones would have studied human warfare. Surely the door was rigged for explosives. She didn't want to risk verifying it. But there had to be another way. Eva looked up at the skylight, 12 feet up, reflecting the light of the staircase. Impossible to reach. Morales had been right in her assessment. Impossible for a human. She gave a little smile to herself. With a lithe jump, she landed on the staircase railing, balancing an easy task for her gyro internal system. She stretched but could not reach the rim yet. A jump was required, fists first to break through the glass and then to grab the corner of the skylight frame. About five feet. Broken skin and torn artificial muscle were a given outcome with all the glass shards, possible operational damage going along. But it was the only way, a one-time attempt. Failure would lead to an almost 20 feet drop down into the staircase to the fifth floor with possible unintended consequences like broken skeleton components or a reset. Failure is not an option, girl, a humanizer supported her decision-making unit. Poor Leo would get a heart attack if he saw me. And with another crooked smile on her lips, 
she jumped. Chapter 103 Smitty The runner task was with Smitty. For a high-tech species like the Sclones, it felt archaic to communicate through a silicon-based computer with its peers that resided in human hosts. It was excruciatingly slow and incredibly dumped down. Translating a language of more than 10 million words into 1,000 words of pidgin English and enduring waits a million times longer than a regular neural interchange was pure torture. But the converts were dependent on the audio and visual capabilities of the host. Tactics and command where the community groups enabled to read and write to the communication console, converting sclone neural triggers into binary computer signals. The computer signal was translated into plain English, displayed on the console monitor. The runner, Smitty, read the message related to the other converts and typed in the replies. And back it went. Smitty stood before the console, his fingers ready on the keyboard to relay any message from command or tactics to the sclones still held in host bodies, reading the occasional update on the computer screen. Not really state-of-the-art, but better than nothing. A new message came in. Smitty read it and frowned. Not good. He considered asking for clarification and repetition, but there was nothing to clarify, nor to repeat. Not really. The instructions were clear, but they wouldn't be popular with the remaining converts. Herbert and Linny would be extremely unhappy. Herbert had been in his host body so long, he must really long to become a normal, independent sclone again. And Smitty feared Linny's wrath. That girl had become slightly unhinged and bloodthirsty. No, scratch slightly, she was unhinged and bloodthirsty. He stared at the message that waited for confirmation. But duty was duty, maybe he was able to catch Herb alone. Smitty pressed the confirm button and ran from the console into the loading room, which looked like a mix of a war zone and butcher shop. The first conversions had started and Smitty had to treat carefully to avoid slipping on the thick layer of blood, human tissue and dead bodies that filled part of the loading bay. Cleanup was not priority, but reconversion was. A piece of the wrecked scaffolding ramp still gaped into the chip, bent and stuck in the hatch. Kimmick and two other converts fired like crazy into the fourth floor windows while another convert was busy pulling up the last pair of pods fastened on a rope. Still slow work, improvised, but definitely faster than carrying up the pods one by one. And safer too. Where's Herb? Smitty asked. Lobby! Kimmy said, interrupting his shooting, reloading his rifle. We've seen the cyborg and its human pal opposite. Troublemakers. Smitty saw in Kimmick's eyes that the young man, or better, the sclone within, had no motivation to continue the fight and was eager to get reconverted. Everyone wanted to get out of here. The sooner the better. And reconversion was the surest way to get away soon. 
I need to pass on an important message. Give me cover. Smitty had to strap his weapon on his back and climb down the makeshift rope ladder. The team had moved away most of the scaffolding debris. He ducked his head as shots rang out near him. The glass cube atrium of Legion Analytics lobby remained only as a steel frame. Most window panes shot out. Two more heads moved in the corridor behind the lobby, guarding the last transport of life parts. Shots banged from the left and the right. When Smitty reached the lobby, he recognized Herbert crouching together with Linny. He made sure that they had spotted him before he crossed over. Want to help out? Herbert greeted him. Linny sent another volley of fire into the direction of the MMTU. The boss people attacked us. They are a pain in the butt. The rest of the team will be here any minute, too. Can you hold your position? Smitty requested. Herbert patted the boxes of ammunition beside him. Material-wise, we are good. People-wise, not sure. There are plenty of skilled opponents in play now. I think the Americans managed to bring in a number of troops overnight, some sort of special forces. Linny eliminated two of them, sneaking upstairs on the staircase. Who knows how many are still in there? He glanced around the building. Let's hope they don't capture the roof. But as soon as the enemy gains the top, we are in trouble. They already hold most of the MMTU. Smitty couldn't agree more. The high ground had the best angle for any sort of gun or rocket attack. Luckily, the last set of pods was now on board and the door would close any minute now. I, I have bad news, Smitty finally disclosed the real reason of his visit. Of course, Herbert sighed and checked the surrounding once more. The Supreme Commander decided to keep the building defense team behind, evacuate the moment the loading is completed, Smitty relayed. Herbert stared at him and even Linny stopped shooting and looked up from her gun scope. They are leaving us here on this forsaken planet? Herbert's fist clenched and his face turned red. Linny, concentrate on the cover fire, Smitty shouted. Damn it, damn it, damn it! The little lady cursed and continued shooting at her MMTU targets. We have made plans for this eventuality, you know, Smitty said. He didn't like the idea either, especially that they had done so much for the community already. The ship will take off, away from this war zone, gives us room to breathe a little safer. You gather the team, make your way out of town, down the highway, and we'll pick you up there. If we make it, Linny quipped from behind the scope. It's not up for discussion, Smitty said. As soon as the final batch is on board, we'll take off, for Queen and Community. That usually settled any hierarchical discussions. For queen and community, Herbert muttered and saw that Linny's mouth also moved. Linny, do we have some smoke grenades left? We cover this whole place in smoke, enables them close the loading hatch, and we can get away. Plenty. Linny pointed at one of the plastic cases on the ground she had retrieved from the scaffolding wreckage. Let's light them up right away. They take a few moments to generate the full effect. She looked at him. But Herb, we are so fucked. I need to go back, Smitty grunted and prepared to leave, checking his surroundings. An automatic gun fired multiple shots, not so far away from the MMTU, and plaster and glass shards rained on them for a moment. Smitty dove to the ground, hit behind the entrance wall. Down! Herbert screamed, unnecessarily. 
But, but I need to... Smitty wailed, but Herbert held him down. Welcome to the Left Behind Club. Chapter 104 Herbert After Smitty had calmed down and encouraged Linny to return fire, Herbert grabbed the first smoke grenade from the box, pulled the pin and threw it towards the next army position. Immediately thick black smoke rose up. He saw that Kimmick, Fenton and the others had handled the final parts and had removed the stuck wreckage of the ramp. Kimmick waved and Jay dropped the rope and ran back from the foot of the transport into the cover of the atrium, while Linny gave it her all from the guns, burning through three magazines to keep the opposition's heads down. Herbert grabbed the signal pistol from his backpack and shot a red emergency light into the morning sky. He then held tight on to the walkie-talkie and waited that the roof team switched off the blanket. Jay crouched beside Herbert, his face eager. How do we get on board now? We don't, Herbert explained briefly the new situation. Jay looked shocked and uncomfortable too. Are they sure it will work? Herbert forced him to nod. It depends on our getting away, and those chances are pretty good. Jay took it with good grace. How can I help? he asked. Get us a drive or two, something to hold the guys on the roof and us, remaining four. Family van, large SUV, pickup, truck, whatever. Quickly, we'll leave in a minute. Meet you on the back side. Got it. Jay sprinted away into the building. Every convert had put down the car keys, so a lot of cars were available for this eventuality. The walkie-talkie in Herbert's hand beeped loudly. They were online again. He gave the guards on the roof the bad news and instructions to meet them downstairs. Herbert signed off and then surveyed the scene. The thick smoke was doing a good job. Almost no shots came into their direction as the smoke effectively blocked the view from both sides. The roof team would still be able to get an aim on the intruders, though. He shouted over to Smitty and Linny. We leave the second the hatch moves. Through the building, out the back. Whatever we can do to surprise our position, we'll do. We'll need to stall them. Linny raffled through her last bag of toys, a large sports bag with tons of hardware and ammunition. Nothing that makes sense anymore. We've given them all and they close in. With the blanket gone, it's only a matter of 20 minutes or so until fresh soldiers arrive. Or worse, Herbert thought. The Supreme Commander had been confident about a clean getaway, but Herbert worried about more extreme measures against them. Cornered humans displayed irrational behavior, but he kept the thought to himself. Shooting picked up, the lobby was under constant fire from the MMTU and Herbert saw a soldier running under cover towards the corner of the atrium, just outside the smoke line. Too close. A few shots from Smitty pinned him down, but for how long? What's happening on the roof? Why is there no return fire anymore? Then he shouted. We need their eyes. We'll get pinned down in here. Smitty rubbed bag over to Linny and Herbert. What's this asshole stalling doing? The hatch still needs defense. As if to answer, 
a human body smashed to the ground in front of the atrium, a huge blood splatter, his broken body coming to rest in an obscene contorted way. Starling. Chapter 105 Charles Charles comforted Cena in a huddle between the giant tires under the MMTU. Gorsuch and Mac both lay dead at their feet and Cena sobbed into Charles' shoulder. She seemed inert, didn't react to any of his questions. He held her awkwardly, constantly looking in all directions, his gun ready. The only upside of the massacre was that their fight had gained them control of this half of the transport. He peered through the forest of tires and tried to catch a glimpse of the left side facing away from the building. The sky clearly wasn't fully black anymore. Twilight had broken and he spotted occasional muzzle fire from the other side of the parking lot. Casper, Ludovic and Baldini had been instructed to open a second front line two minutes after the school bus had come to rest and they had delivered on the promise. The remaining green beret made his way closer and closer to the atrium front line. Black smoke rose from the atrium and the former side of the ramp. Too much too suddenly to have come from some burning piece of equipment. A smoke grenade? Did they try to get on board under its cover? There was still no communication and the longer the outage lasted, the more nervous the president would get. And the more likely he would have his finger on the trigger of the big bomb. A red emergency rocket raced into the morning from the front of the Legion headquarter, its strong light throwing a reddish glow into the greyish morning sky. One of ours? One of theirs? What did it mean? I hope not the worst. Sina, we need to get back into position. She dried her face with her arm and moved her lips awkwardly. I can't hear you. Hearing is gone. She shouted in an overloud voice. Okay, Charles nodded. Gorsuch, I couldn't shoot him. I couldn't, she cried. And now Mac is dead. All my fault. Charles saw no sense in discussing who shot who. Listen, Sina, get your act together. Ludovic and the others have started their diversion. The loading hatch, that's where the action is going to be. All this was all for nothing. The breathing shuddered and she let go of him. Used her arm to dry her tears. Give me a moment, I'm sorry. Nothing to be sorry about, Charles said. This is all so fucked up. Suddenly, he felt something on his leg. He glanced down and realized that it was his special phone ringing, the president's sad phone. He immediately understood. The blanket was gone, the red signal. This could only mean the ship was going to launch soon, endgame. An icy pit formed in his stomach. Charles fumbled with the buttons, frantically ripping them off, retrieved the phone and pressed the green call icon. Status? The voice of the president boomed into Charles' ear. We are in the middle of an attack, all our... I don't care, the 
commander-in-chief interrupted. Did you prevent the takeoff? I have the generals on the direct line with the bomber pilots. The two civilians were to bring explosives into... Norman, what's the... For Charles, time slowed down. His rational analyst mind got pressed out of his consciousness, replaced by pure survival instinct, his mind racing. Charles, answer the question. Say it. Save us all from these madmen in Washington. But what's the answer? The planet is at stake. Humankind is at stake. And right now, after all the crazy things in the last 24 hours, there's nothing I know except the improvised, harebrained scheme of a fat, hungry IT guy and an alien cyborg with a hidden agenda. From a deep fog. Norman! Chapter 106 Starling The man in charge of the roof guards was a convert called Brian Starling. His host had been Legion Analytics public affairs manager. His task during the night had been a daunting and critical one. Keep the blanket and the building safe. For the last four hours and counting, he and his remaining two comrades had done just that, using the advantage of the high ground. Starting out with a team of four, a sniper had mastered a freak shot in the dead of the night, killing one of them. Headshot to the host. The human body had died instantly, of course. Theoretically, you could have retrieved the clone inside. However, the only roof access door had been sealed tight and booby-trapped, leaving no way of bringing the comrade down into the lab where medical attention could be given. So, its comrade had died too. This is a shitty job, Starling thought bitterly. Someone needed to control the parameter, fight for their dominance, but theory and practice were different beasts. Up until now, Starling's remaining band of three had indeed managed to hold off the soldiers pretty well. Five hours of fighting, one loss. They had rigged the roof access points with C4, wanting no surprises from the stairs while his team was up there. In preparation for this day, Comrade Herbert had done a great job of securing and equipping the roof to convert it into a hard stand with sandbags. But the opposition had turned out to be better prepared than expected. The plan had been to kill most of the fighters during the initial attack on the transport, but for whatever reason the rest were able to fight admirably. And then the attack on the ramp, a shocker, the ramp gone, logistics interrupted and the bus crew attacking the MMTU guards. It was not over, yet shots still exchanged with the bus attackers. They now had the cover under the wheels and behind the ship's cradles, which made it hard to control the field. A red emergency rocket whooshed up into the early light sky. The sign for the endgame. Starling's heart beat faster. Time to leave for the ship. The loading was completed. Finally, 
getting away from this forsaken planet. Starling immediately walked in the crouch over to the oblong box near the staircase, activated the display on the metal gleaming box and switched off the blanket completely. Guys, get ready to get out. The blanket's off, I'll disarm the door and we'll leave through the staircase, he shouted over. The timing and sequence were crucial as they would not be able to leave all at once. The digital walkie-talkie started to work again after a few seconds, beeping the readiness. Herbert's voice. Starling, you copy? I am. Should we come down for boarding? To Starling's horror, Herbert's answer was unexpected. Negative. Come down, but loading is complete. The hatch will close any second now. Bad news, guys. We stay on the planet for a short while longer. But we'll meet behind the building and make it to a rendezvous point. Copy. A hollow feeling spread inside of Starling. We're staying? The community and its overall safety went first, sure. But he and his team had done their duty. Why did they have to stay? Thoughts of panic ran through his head. He exchanged worried glances with his two co-guards on the other side of the roof who had overheard the message. Herbert again. Copy, Starling? Got it, he replied. Where do we meet? Behind the building as soon as the hatch closes. Rendezvous point is the highway junction where we originally attacked the transport. Jay is preparing us a drive. Empty your guns at the front assailants for a last show and come down. Copy. Clear. What about the blanket? Command decided to leave it here. Can't be helped. Our getaway is more important. Starling confirmed and scanned his surroundings. He didn't like the situation one bit. Damn it, the ship was flying without them. A lot could happen during their getaway. Perhaps it was the new situation or simply paranoia that made him turn around to check at six. There she stood. A young woman, not more than twenty years old, jumping from the top of the staircase structure, silhouetted in the first morning light. How had she managed? The staircase had been securely rigged with outside explosives, was Starling's immediate thought. Then his reflexes kicked in because this girl was definitely not selling cookies as she carried a rocket launcher over her back and a machine pistol in her hand. Starling shouted at the top of his lungs to alert his team and swung his weapon around. Too late, the lady had already started her killing spree. His first teammate never stood a chance. Killed by the girl's two first salvos from the Mac-10, used with deadly accuracy, the bullets ripping through his flesh, the body jerking from the bullet impacts. The girl jumped down from the staircase structure and was already halfway towards target number two, Legion's head of HR, Jill Penja. Starling came running, his own gun pointed at the mad woman, but he was afraid to hit Jill in the crossfire, trying to get a better angle. The lady's gun jammed after the first shot when she tried to finish off Jill. Without any hesitation, she leapt the last few yards and to Starling's horror, clubbed Jill into the face with her gun's metal. The man let go of a wailing scream as his nose broke. Her arm went up to finish Jill off. Stop! Don't fucking move! I got your fucking head in my aim! Starling screamed at the mad woman. And no miss situation, ten yards, gun at eye, target fully in sight. Starling 
was almost surprised when she actually did not move to comply with his command. Her left hand now held Jill by the front collar, the man's body between herself and Starling. Her right hand with the jammed machine pistol still lingering over her head. I will... The lady was almost a girl, and good-looking, no hair out of place, but her eyes. She stared at him like a wild carnivore, eyed a piece of meat, and licked her lips. Don't move! I will move, she said in a loud voice. I will hurt your friend here, slowly. She lifted him higher. She must be incredibly strong and now almost completely hid behind Jill. She slammed her machine pistol once into his face. Starling flinched and swore he heard Jill's teeth and bones breaking. Jill's wailing stopped, his breathing turning into gurgling. I will shoot, Starling repeated, but he still had no good target, only Eva's right eye visible behind Jill's bulk. You will not. Your opportunity is over. You will die she called over. Her voice was so utterly serious that Starling started doubting his position. What was wrong with this picture? The girl hit Jill again, another crunch of bones and teeth, Jill squealing like a pig for a second. Are you hurting? the girl asked, her eyes not leaving Starling. To shoot or not to shoot, no one had prepared him for this, Starling felt utterly lost. Jill mumbled something, blood foaming from where his mouth used to be. The girl hit him once more with this gun, this time in the stomach, the bloody foam increasingly flowing from Jill's face, staring hollowly at Starling. I will continue to torture your friend here until you jump off this roof. And she hit Jill again, another gurgling whimper from the still conscious but dying man. The girl let go of the gun. It fell onto its strap dangling beside her. With her right hand, she opened a butterfly knife with a flick of her wrist. Let's move to the fun part. Now I will open him up and remove your bodies. Starling slowly lowered his gun, the whole situation over his head. His body was overflowing with adrenaline, fear, panic and revulsion. He was stranded on a hostile planet his community ready to leave and the last person he knew being slowly killed in front of his eyes. I win this fight, you die now. Her voice turned hypnotic. You win, you die. I win, you die. Look down at your spaceship. We can talk. No talk. Don't look at your friend. Look down at your spaceship. Is the loading hatch still open? Are they leaving you? I win, you die. Starling stepped closer to the rim and glanced down. Yes, the hatch was still open, but, serendipity in action, just this second it started to close, slowly but surely. Starling turned back to the ladies, I win, you die, I win, chant. He turned his eyes back to the girl and flinched instinctively, a flash of black coming at him, the last thing he ever saw. Eva's thrown Mac-10 hit him fully into the face, a weight of almost seven pounds, like a boxer's punch with a steel fist. The pain overwhelmed him, blinded him, overriding any other emotion or sensory input. 
He was blinded, heard the metal clattering to the floor, the reflex of moving aside in his legs, his hand going to his face, the source of the pain. Disoriented, the second step was definitely his last, because his foot hit the wall of the roof balustrade, his body still a momentum of the move, his host's body flipping over into thin air. Starling's pain-ridden sclone mind did not realize that he was on his way down. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And that's it, for real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you, take care, I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames, this was The Transport, over and out. <laughs>